the grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a great cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. The great cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast. On today's show, we'll talk about low scores, batting collapses, Ireland, Australia v Australia Day, intra-club, pre-season trials, likely lineups, and Ashes predictions. Cameron Bancroft joins the show from a home renovation aisle of B&Q in the UK to talk first test, showers, life since Durban on the eve of the Ashes. Hashtag RCDC involves Italian girlfriends getting alpha from a Porsche driver and batting with a 15-year-old. My name is Ian Higgins, and I'm joined by Sam Perry in Melbourne. Pez, good morning to you. Jeez, um, a lot's happened in the last little while since we last convened. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, good morning to you. But um, yeah, it's, uh, the Ashes are here, mate. The Ashes are here. The biggest uh, test series there is for another couple of years. Four days away, is it? Four, it's amazing. Mm. Cricket's strange. Yeah. Uh, and we know that. We've discussed that over 82 previous episodes. And yeah, good morning to you. Uh, again, from a car in Melbourne. Promise these, um, this production quality will improve uh, as time goes on. When we get in the same room with each other. And we should actually make an apology for Dave um, because um, people seem to freak out about this quite a lot in our DMs. Uh, Dave is unwell and also um, has a full-time job mm. uh, and, frankly, has better things to do than... Sorry, he just has... Car. He has, like, the flu. He's not unwell. It's not terminal. Correct, in case that was the leap that people were making. Yeah. He's ill yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with the flu. Yep. Uh, and uh, if you are coming to our Sydney show, I should say, let's just leap all over the place. He will be there. Yep. <laughs> and... Um, We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, he goes, uh, England-Ireland, firstly. So, yeah, I mean, cricket's a normal game. England were bowled out for 85 in the first innings and won by 143 runs. Mm. So um, mm. how, like, incredible and farcical is that? Had to be in it, that pitch. Thing. Had to be in it. Yeah, and I watched the ball slide on through in that final innings where Ireland were dismissed for 38, another normal thing that... Happens in cricket, apparently. Like, this game just flashed before our eyes. Mm. Just a, It was like a weird dream, mm. and the ball slid on through. Like you could see the seam standing proudly upright in that dark Duke's ball, and I just thought about our own batters. <laughs> Mate, um, yeah, uh, just because, like, the number 38 isn't low enough in a, in a cricket, in a whole inning sense, the fact that, like, Ireland lost nine of their wickets for 20 runs, because they, they, st- they started okay, you know, one for one, one for 18, <laughs> 18 for one, and then, yeah, just really got into the collapse there of, yeah, nine wickets for 20 runs. Um, scary. T- That's the thing with um, those particular types of English wickets, isn't it? Like, when you think about the extremities that each country can produce – in relation to their wickets, Australia has, you know, Optus Stadium or the Wacker or whatnot, where it's just coming on really quick and bouncy. Mm-hmm. It can turn a lot in India. But when it is super seeming <laughs> and swinging in England on green wickets and they can just direct the ball at off stump, it really is just a matter of time before you either get bowled or nick mm-hmm. off. And there's, mm-hmm. and there's very little you can do about it. Mm-hmm. So nine wickets for 20 is the result. Uh, of that, and it was just another normal day. That was also um, that, that that happened after England's night watchman Jack Leach, uh, Leach, pardon me, hit ninety two, and um, opening the batting. And, he's, and, and still, uh, we've had about thirteen messages to this effect. His dad didn't come because mm. the weather was looking a bit inclement. Yeah, 
Um, all great stuff there from Jack as well uh, and Jack's father. But, yeah, I mean, really interesting stuff that I think uh, Leach averaged four and a half in – in first class cricket, so obviously went into the, as night watchman. Uh, I read uh, the other day that he now has the second highest score by an England opening batsman since Alistair Cook retired. So that says a lot of things about a lot of things. But I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it in a moment's time. But the, England's batting is <clears throat> England. England aren't good. <laughs> um, I. I think it's going to be a really, really close series, this one, because basically neither team can bat, and Australia has ultimately the best batsman of either team, but England probably have the better batsman overall in terms of the you know adaptive sense of batting in the UK. Joe Root, after the Ireland Test match, was very critical of the state of the wicket, and then I've seen a lot of people online have been critical of Joe Root being critical of the Lord's wicket. Um, that, to me, is... The, the reaction to be um, critical of someone who's been critical of a wicket is fucking bizarre, man. Because that's like, mm. if you ever played on a pitch, which is just like, if teams are getting bowled out for 38 in international cricket, it's like the, the clearly the wicket is not fit for purpose. Um, I remember a former professional player was talking about a, a, a story. Um, Greg Matthews was bowling to David Boone in a shield game. And David Boone was basically deliberately playing and missing. And um, Greg, there was like an LBW shout and, you know, Greg Matthews basically said to the umpire, like, you know, guys with 7,000 test runs don't miss the ball by that far. The point of this story is, is that like international players, if they miss the ball and when you see this when they play and miss, it's very often like, you know, a lack of paint away from the outside edge of the bat. They don't miss the ball by like, you know, six to seven inches and consistently in that test match guys were playing and missing and they were not even close to the ball these are international cricketers who literally hit cricket balls for a living so like not only is it such a low scoring test match but like guys are just the ball's moving too much i mean it's it's absurd uh mate i agree with all of that analysis really uh i'm not sure of the vagaries of people's relationship with the grounds groundsmen or grounds people i think vaguely i think uh they might be new at Lords. Yeah, it's first year, guys. Think, first um, year, yeah. Right. I mean, and you know, obviously, cricketers pretend they know everything about groundskeeping, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm one of those people, despite knowing actually nothing about it. But um, I would still suggest that Joe Root is just signalling the obvious. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the, the wicket wasn't a, up to test standard. A Lords cricket wicket shouldn't be having teams dismiss for 85 and 38, respectively. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's um, I don't think he's out of his um, you know, like he's out of line. Mm. <laughs> Calling that mm. out, it was it, what a what a bizarre mm. match, hilarious match. Great to see England roll for eighty five, yep. somewhat contextualised and yeah. <laughs> diminished by Ireland being rolled for thirty eight. But like many of the Irish people are saying, they don't recognise cricket beyond the first day, <laughs> and don't we all? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I yeah. I mean, you can imagine the damage that Tim Murtagh's done five for 13 there in the first innings. If that was, you know, Stark Hazelwood Cummins, whoever you like. I mean, Broad Anderson could have been anyone. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind, of, kind of a scary thought for, uh, with all due respect to the Irish, you know, probably the highest profile series of, of, any, of any cricket across the world, apart from maybe Pakistan and India. Um, Pez, I want to ask you about, uh, you know, England's sort of where they're at emotionally coming into this Ashes series because a lot of people have said, you know, winning the World Cup is a great thing, and and it is, uh, but they're coming into the World Cup on a high. 
let me put it to you that I don't think you can have the series of your career in a, even if, even though it's a different format and win the final of that you know career defining series in the way that they did and then come back to the same sport a week and a half two weeks later and then have the second biggest possibly more draining series in a five test match series against your ultimate enemy and it'd be a good thing mm-hmm. Well, I mean, first thing, I've not had personal experience doing that, so <laughs> I can't speak with great authority. But I did note, I mean, it's there's probably something in it, isn't there? Um, and that's not just hope from my end. Like, I did note Michael Latherton saying this on commentary, saying, look, if I was captain, I would have just given all those players two weeks off and said, just come back in two weeks. Mm. So see you later. So there's, there, there is obviously something in that. I suppose the test reflected that in some way as well. So... You know, the thing I keep getting stuck on, and it's probably boring to hear it now, is that, like, the Australian batsmen still just have technical things that they're going to need to address. Uh, I do think that the England bowlers are going to, regardless of the emotional drain, I still think they're going to be able to put the ball in positions that ask questions of Australian batting technique. Uh, but I, th- I think you're right, yeah. And I do think that is some... I think it's a minor... It may be a minor advantage for Australia early on in the series, but... One of the great things about Test cricket, especially over a five-test series, is that like even if matches are shorter these days for whatever reason, like it finds you out. The technical elements find you out. Uh, I'm not sure that you know an emotional drain from a World Cup win is going to sustain an Australian advantage for a really long period of time as to be decisive in the series. But it may be helpful for Edge Baston, where Australia haven't won since, and I've said this before, Sale of the Century was on TV. I, you're, you're entirely right when you say all this stuff, mate. Um, it's, it's, um, I, I can just see a world where England's a little bit caught on the hop and the second test matches at Lords where Australia's got a great record. We were even won there, um, four years ago when it was, um, when the Ashes were last in the UK. I can see a world where Australia just catch England there a little bit at Edge Baston. They play well at Lords. There is, there is a, there is a, you know, a world I think where Australia can get themselves to 2-0. Um, do I think that can happen? Maybe not, but I can see a world where it happens. Um, and I say that because <clears throat> I look at England's team, Pez, and yes. they, for the last, I mean, probably two years, have consistently found themselves three and four for 40. Um, I mean, you look at their opening batsmen, they're probably going to have to choose between uh, Rory Burns, Joe Denley, James Vince, and Jason Roy, who hasn't played a test match before. Um, Trevor Bayliss really wants Joe Root to bat three. Apparently all the England management want Joe Root to bat three. Joe Root doesn't want to bat three. You got Bairstow, Butler, Stokes and Ali at, um, from, from five to eight. Looks, looks reasonable. Um, Johnny Bairstow has struggled a lot in test cricket recently. Um, Ali did not have a great World Cup and he was found out massively by Nathan Lyon in the, in the last Ashes series. I think he's averaging about 11 or something in test cricket over the last year. Then you've got Wokes, Archer, Ollie Stone, Sam Curran, Broad and Anderson all for playing for three spots at 9, 10, 11. So, look, England's bowling's great, especially in England. Um, but I will say Stuart Broad's not the bowler he was even four years ago. <laughs> um, Archer hasn't played a test match. Um, and Anderson is the greatest bowler to have ever played in England. So, you know, there's a balance there. But, mate, I, I don't know. You look... Uh, I want to ask you specifically about the, the top four spots of England. You can see why they consistently find themselves three down for not many, can't you? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and the records, um, like the record shows it, and they're going to be playing against uh, an Australian bowling attack that looks as as balanced and as fast as ever before. You know, I think for the first time, this is this may be the first time ever that that kind of um, prodigal cadre of like Pattinson, Cummins, Stark, and Hazelwood have been fit together, mm. and not a moment too soon. Um, throw in Nathan Lyon, you know, who, who always does a job. It looks pretty good for Australia. Oh, and Michael Nisa, mm. let's not forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Siddle, people think, you know, I mean, he's he's got a great record in England as well. So, yeah, Australia should be able to put together some good bowling performances. Uh, and, yeah, England's top order have been pretty poor. Uh, I think Trevor Bayliss actually came out overnight himself. We're not sort of being controversial or bullish. He's come out overnight and said it doesn't take... <laughs> you don't have to be Einstein to work out the top order's been our weakness. Mm. Um so yeah, I, but but you know, like I said, mate. I mean, I I think that Australia's as likely to be four for shit as England are. So well, yeah, um, yeah. So so it's all relative. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Like it's it's all well and good to say, oh, they could be four for forty, but mm. four for forty is only um, important in so far as what the other team are. And um, Australia has, uh, and I don't mean to, you know talk down Australia, but if we're going to talk about England's batting, you've got to talk about Australia's. I mean, going through our side, uh, Australia's side. It's only Steve Smith who's ever scored 100 in a test match in England. Dave Warner had a couple of 50s mm-hmm. uh, in the last series. Kawaja does not have a 50, and no one else has played. And, you know, we do know that Australian batsmen are raised to, uh, you know, uh, play the ball with pace off the bat, mm-hmm. um, to follow the ball, and um, and English conditions seem to be kryptonite, you know, to the way we're raised mm-hmm. to actually hit the ball. So... It's a huge challenge for the Australian bats when I keep coming back to it. And, you know, if Australia are to be a chance to win the Ashes, to my mind, then we're going to need to be surprised by at least two or three of that top order. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I'd welcome it. That'd be that'd be fantastic. And, you know, we've seen this before. The, the, the strength of our bowlers is only strong if they've got totals to bowl at. Mm-hmm. If they're going out into the field and they're defending low totals and you've got that sweeper on the boundary immediately, then it kind of takes a sting out of it. So, you know, the way I see it is that Australia's chances essentially come down to a couple of batsmen stepping up. Absolutely, mate. Well, I, I think in the same way that the World Cup, I think the way that Australia wins the World Cup is they're like sort of bit part players have fantastic series. Now, I, I think like you can, you can make a case. Steve Smith's going to score his runs. Um, you know, there hasn't been too many series in his career where he hasn't, especially since he's you know played in the team as a batsman. I think if Warner has a big series, um, that could actually be quite pivotal. Um, and then probably one other. And I mean, I, I wrote down that my eleven that I've got, which is a bit of a, it's not necessarily the team that I would pick. I don't think, but it was a team that I think is going to play. So, for instance. Um, I just presume Cameron Bancroft is going to play. Like if if mm-hmm. I mean Cameron joins the show after this segment here, but um, if he if he's been put up for interviews and he's been put up a little bit recently, um, that sort of says to me that he's playing. Um, and then so I've got him and Warner opening the batting. Kawaja three, Smith four, um, and then so you five and six. Well, Travis Head just seems to be an absolute lock at the moment, um, which is surprising because I. I don't know. I, I, swinging ball, like he just—he was nicking them in Australia. So I just—I <laughs> kind of see him. Mate, I, I completely agree. I, I just how, like, with respect to Travis um, slash Fred Savage, I, I like how he's become a lock out of nowhere. It surprises me. Mm. He, he, obviously, he's vice captain, but I mean, it's it's funny because he hasn't been scrutinised enough. Like, but like Joe Burns and 
Curtis Patterson have missed out on the squad now. Um, their tons against Sri Lanka obviously didn't count for much, um, which I understand. Um, why does Head's ton against Sri Lanka count for something? Does Head have county form? No, he didn't play. Uh, he's lost his ODI spot recently. He, he couldn't achieve big runs in his 10 previous digs to his ton against um, you know, Sri Lanka's second grade. Um, but he's a vice-captain. So it's just, I mean, you know, when it, like, I know you're going through your 11, mate, but, um, you know, I, I think Australia needs to pick guys who can go big. I understand there's a, a, you know, there's a case for role players who can, you know, balance a side out, library chains, leg spin, maybe head can bowl a little bit. But those can't be features that get players over the line over someone who may have the capacity to score big hundreds. So it's who are the who are the guys that can do that? So I agree with you. So continue on with your eleven. Sorry. Um, so I've got head at six, um, and I just think okay. Labuschagne's going to play. <laughs> I, I think I think yeah. he's. I mean, again, he's another one who's been in the so media. You had Is that your? Would you pick Labuschagne, or are you saying that's who you think will be picked? That's that's who I think. I think I think Bancroft, Head, and Labuschagne are my three who I think I wouldn't necessarily pick. Um, but we'll play. So, for instance, like I can't believe Joe Burns is not playing. <laughs> I can't believe Joe Burns is not so being picked. You got no room for um, for Wade. Um, Wade was probably the one who I'd play instead mm. of either Labuschagne or Head. Yeah, um, sure. I'm like coming. A, um, I've come around a little bit with Labuschagne because I think like the reason he's picked is funny. Um, in fact, yes, I, I, it's hilarious. You know, I, I think there's a lot of things of like every squad that's ever been picked. Uh, particularly in Australia, I'm not sure the, the, the cultural history of like other nations picking squads and stuff, but like in Australia, you basically have your ones who are just statistically a lock, you know, your captains, your vice captains, you know, your historical players, whatever. And then there's like, there's always about three, three to four guys in every squad Australia's ever picked, which are based on context or feeling or, um, you know, physical traits, uh, character, but, and like, Australia have changed the way they pick blokes now because, you know, it was only a year ago where we just picked the biggest guys that we could find and now mm. we're picking guys based on their religious preferences, uh, <laughs> if they have yoga degrees, uh, what their relationship is to earthing, uh, is spirituality. It's a, it's a, it's a quite a bizarre transformation yeah. in the space of 12 months. It's definitely advantageous to be new age. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. literally a year new ago, Darren Lehman was like, you know, just we were just bowling around the wicket to the tail end as just bumping blokes. And mm. 12 months later, you know, there's photos of blokes lying down without their shoes on uh, just to connect with the earth. So, mm. um, and Labo Shane's one of those guys uh, that Justin Langer really likes. And I think there's something there. But the, the the numbers suggest that there is not something there. <laughs> uh, you know, he's got uh, he's got a, he's got an eagle. Is it an eagle or a hawk? It's an eagle, isn't it? It's an eagle on his on his it's bat. An eagle, yeah. eagle sticker on his bat, which reminds yeah. me of his favourite Bible passage from Isaiah. Mm. Um, you know, this is a quite a departure from the rig based selections of you know even in the World Cup. You know, your Stoinis or your Marshes mm. or whatever. So, um, I, I I can see that there's something there with Laba Shane, as I said, but the numbers say that there is not something there. Mm. Are you going to play him? Are you playing him? Oh, I, I personally wouldn't um, have Laba Shane in the side because I, I just think, firstly, forget about the leg spin. Uh, oh, yeah. That, I feel like that's a misnomer. Yeah. So let's just think about the batting. He has runs in county, uh, albeit Division 2, but his first-class record doesn't stack up to the guys he's competing with. Uh, there are guys who I think are more likely to win the game for Australia with the bat 
trying to say this as clearly as possible, those guys would be Patterson, Burns, Matthew Wade. So uh, Wade's the only other guy that's in the squad. Mm. So I, I'd, I'd have Wade ahead of Labuschagne 10 times out of 10. Mm. Uh, if you need a couple of overs, well, Wade can bowl 140s, <laughs> but you, you probably shouldn't need those extra overs. Get him from somebody else as well. So yeah. the, the, I just find that the... the the leggy thing, a misnomer. Oh yeah, I'm not playing him anyway. You can't, you can't pick a guy who's going to bowl maybe two overs in a test match. I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm. Um, well, I, let's I, keep going with your eleven. Well, I was just, I was just thinking with with Patterson. I mean, he's a guy who who seemed to have just lost a bit of form. That, I mean, that seems to be the yeah. male that he just sort of. Fought. So I can, I can understand that one a little bit. Um, there's probably also a bit of left hand right hand thing going on, going on as well. Like everyone in the Australian top board is left handed. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, ultimately, you just pick your best batsman, and it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I mean, it's another reason why Bancroft may get the nod too. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, mate, the only other selection thing for me would be: does Pattinson play ahead of probably Stark? I mean, that's really the only one for me. Um, but also, what's your answer? Uh, I'm picking. I want to pick Pattinson, but I think I'm I'm conservative, uh, and I would pick Stark. Um, you know, it's it's a fun one with, with with Stark because you know if he's if he's on, then if he's got that, you know, he's got great rhythm and stuff. He is one of the best five fast bowlers in the world. Um, if he's not, he uh, just leaks runs very quickly because he's a very attacking bowler. So he can concede a lot of runs. We even saw in the World Cup. He was, he was I think his economy was over was close to six, um, which is quite a lot for a guy who took so many wickets. So. Um, I think I'm going to pick Stark, but Pattinson would be the only one that I would change out for. And Hayeswood definitely plays. Um, and Cummins in line. That's my 11. Mm. Thoughts? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I think it's a... Uh, yeah, this was like a hybrid your 11 versus what you think will happen, yeah, which is yeah, probably yeah. fair enough. I, I think it would... Yeah, my 11, well, it would be probably completely different structurally. We'd have to go back three or four years into Greg Chapel era, undo that, yeah, and, yeah. you know, Michael Kling is captain. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. um... <laughs> Yeah, I pro- probably I, from from the players that they've got, I probably have yeah Warner, Bancroft, uh, Kawaja, Just, uh, then Smith. Uh, you, okay, Travis Head will play because he's vice captain. Okay, uh, I'd have I'd have Matt Wade at six, uh, Payne seven, and then yeah, it's kind of three into two really. Cummins plays, mm. and then it's start. I think it, you know it's between Stark Hazelwood. And Pattinson, um, I'm going to play Pattinson. Uh, probably leave Stark out uh, because uh, his red ball form really struggled. I think there's a question mark over uh, his ability to um, deliver with that red ball since Cape Town mm-hmm. a lot. And um, uh, I think that you know Langer and the coaching guys will know whether Stark's ready to go. If Stark is in a rich vein of form and the ball is swinging out of his hand, you know he's swinging so late in the nets, then you'd pick him. Mm. But um, I think Pattinson's a guy that you could actually... He's a guy that could... Um, he could be the linchpin for the Australian side for the entire series. Mm. I know he, he may get injured and they're going to rotate anyway. But, yeah, I'd put Pattinson in ahead of him. I've got a sneaky suspicion that M- Mitch Marsh may play six, mate. <laughs> you know, and uh, and Bowl, they, they love that option as well. I really so, think... Yeah. I think that'd be an enormous mistake um, because I think, oh, I, think I think the... I think the series is going to be a very low-scoring series. I don't think any team is hitting 400, <laughs> um, certainly not in the first few tests until you get to maybe the oval or the flatter, flatter pitches. Um, so if if you can't bowl a team out with your four front-line bowlers, mm. um, I, I just think like the 
you know, England's balance, for instance, like you got Stokes in the team who is just such a great That's thing. So and and, and you, you can see why Australia have still tried to search for Flintoff 05 ever since they faced that because it changes your balance of the team in the same way that if you've got a wicketkeeper who is a world-class batsman, um, it just strengthens your team so much. It means you can play an extra bowler, extra batsman, whatever. So... Um, but I think to play Mitch Mahash just to get in, you know, to, so he can bowl sort of 15 overs in a test match would be a huge mistake. And also he's not he's not the best batsman. Australian need runs. And, um, yeah, you've you got to pick the guys who are going to get you the highest score possible, not to bowl the team out for as little as possible, I think, because I don't really see Mitch Marsh's value um, overseas in England doing that. I can see it in Australia a bit more um, where you can sort of just – a lot of overs, you know, you drop in pitches where you can just bolt the stumps and you can go for low, uh, low, you know, low economy rates and stuff, uh, whilst cycling through the bowls at the other ends. But in England, nah, uh, I mean, you might be right, they might pick him, but I just I can't see it. I, I also said just on your Pattinson point as well, mate, I think, um, he's he's almost like our broad in that, like, he can. He, he has the potential more so than probably any other bowler to take, like you know, to bowl team out in the session kind of stuff. And I think that England might not know that much about him, or certainly the England England fan base probably wouldn't know that much about him compared to Stark and um, Cummins and Hazelwood. And there's a bit of a surprise yeah. element. Yeah, you're right. He's like a he's like a spirit animal mm. for Australia. If he gets going, people will get around him in the true Australian Aussie rule style. Yeah. He'll be he'll be there'll be steam coming out of his ears, he'll be growling. Mm. Uh, yeah, and and the upside with Pattinson is that there's an argument he's um he's the best bat, well, he's a bit of bat yeah. out of those four as well. Yeah. So where, where they need runs, or he's at least equal with Cummins. Mm. Uh, he, he may well bat above him. So mm. yeah, I, I mean the the word coming out of the camp is they'll all sort of get a game at some point. Yeah. And knowing Australia, conservatism does lead. So Stark may get the first nod, mm. but uh, but yeah, if they yeah. Uh, if, if I wake up, if we sort of, you know, turn on the TV, or we'll be on a flight, I think, but, um, you know, for the first test and see that Pattinson's in that 11, I'll be feeling pretty good. Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I think he can, do, he can do some serious damage. Yeah, absolutely. And since he's had a lot of injuries and stuff, hasn't he just come thicker through the trunk? Like real yeah, thick, thick tr- boy. Yeah, thick trunk now. Thick boy, double K. Yeah. <laughs> he's thick. Double C, I think it is. Double C, but yeah, double C. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. In Urban Dictionary Sorry, yeah. language. Uh, yeah. Well, mate, we'll find out what happens. But yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't get uh, too self-referential on the podcast too early. I always say it's about half an hour in, so yeah, that's about right. Um, but yeah, well, mm-hmm. mate, we'll obviously be in the UK. We're doing some live shows. Obviously, the uh, the the, um, the tour has begun. Uh, Melbourne at the Corner Hotel on Thursday night. Great show, Pez. Do you enjoy it? I did very much enjoy it. It was raucous. Mate, good crowd. Uh, it was pretty raucous. It was a good crowd, I yeah. thought. It was loose. Yeah. Uh, it was It was a good start. It was a very, very good hit out. It went uh, It went long. Way too long. Brad Hodge, our guest, mm. was uh, was excellent. Yep. Um, you know, we sailed close to the wind on many occasions. Yes. Uh, certainly made me wince on a few, yep. on a few occasions. Yep. Um, but we, we made it through, <laughs> I think. And... Um, yeah, it was. It, it all good well. It all good well. So um, uh, the comedy store in Sydney, the hometown showpez, uh, is on Wednesday night. Steve O'Keefe there. Uh, we'll see how close we can get him to sail to the wind. Uh, the Hello Sport Boys. Are, can we just say? Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, carry on. Uh, Hello Sport Boys are, uh, are introing us in. Um, so I, I hope our listenership has has at least dabbled in their podcast at some point over the last little while. Um, fantastic young gentleman. 
uh, will be welcoming us on stage. Um, and Comedy Store, then we're heading off. funny. Yeah, I, I've got a sneak peek into what they're planning to do for their opening. I won't give it away, but the concept is very funny to me. And if you are heading to the Sydney show, um, yeah, make sure you get there for the kickoff uh, because they're extremely funny and uh, make them feel welcome. Um, mate, then I've I this is what happens when you don't let the um, you, you, your um, your touring company book your flights. I I booked a flight to the UK at six a.m. the next morning after the Sydney show. Um, you know, I still haven't caught up from. You know, post Melbourne show. I'm not going to lie to you. Yep. Had a couple of a couple of gin and tonics, um, mm. and uh, yeah, not feeling at all healthy. But then, mate, then yep. then there we go. Then we have Birmingham Test match day four. We're there, um, and then uh, Leeds Manchester. Then before heading off to Newcastle, then down to London for a couple of shows. So, mate, it's all happening. Tickets are mm. available. At Great Um Club. We mm. should we should announce our our guest for the London show, mate. We should. So after combing the country and, uh, you know, doing a few interviews with people, this is our process for locking people in. We normally actually make them sort of call us and we have to interview them to find out if they're funny. Are we being serious? No. Um, We are very pleased to announce that our guest for the first London Live show is uh, Australian short-form extraordinaire and very funny man, uh, Dan Christian who um, is based in Nottingham, hmm. around England, uh, around that time, um, but uh, has very um, happily agreed to make his way down to London to be our guest for that first show. Dan Christian it comes highly recommended yeah. from a number of his colleagues. Yeah. Uh, I, I, we went to the drawing board and said, listen, who should we go for? And we asked a few people who have played in England, a couple of Aussie guys as well, and um, many, many people came back to us and said, go for Christo, hmm. as they say. So... Hmm. Um, very much looking forward to having Dan there. Yeah, like I said, funny guy. And, um, yeah, well, we may have – there may be a chance of a couple of others as well based on recent Ashes selections, mm. <laughs> but mm. um, they don't know about that yet. Mm. <laughs> they don't know about that and nor do we. So uh, yeah. uh, come to uh, – you know, if you're in Birmingham for the first Test match, uh, we're performing at the Glee Club at the end of day four if the test goes that far. But if it doesn't, the show's still going ahead. We've got Merv Hughes there as a guest, Gideon Hay and Pete Lawler are going to join us. Um, Club. Then we head north, Tim Bresnan for Leeds and Manchester for the next following nights or so. Club for your tickets. So the tour has begun. Uh, so we'll see you out there on the live stage. They're great nights out, so do come along. All right, um, let's get Cameron Bancroft on the phone. And then after that, hashtag ICGC. Okay, he goes, uh, in the summer of 27, 2018, we chased an interview with this guy hard uh, because a certain press conference referencing his head and Johnny Bairstow's head was too good not to pursue. Uh, anyway, we were declined, uh, and rightly so. And a few things have happened since. Uh, you know, we got a show on Channel 7, the Democrats gained the House in the US, uh, the Earth's temperature increased, etc. But circumstances have conspired to finally deliver this interview. Uh, Cricket Australia have been kind enough to put our man forward for the show. Big mistake, because we'll take the leap and presume that means he's playing in the first test. I'm, of course, talking about Australian test opener, newly minted yoga instructor, and Bairstow head survivor, Cameron <laughs> A warm welcome to the Great Cricketer Podcast. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. Thanks for the introduction as well. <laughs> um, you're welcome. Um I, I, look, firstly, Cam, we normally start on the great cricketer note, but congrats on the recall to the Ashes squad. Uh, must mean a lot. Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, obviously, yeah, really, really exciting. Um, yeah, it's been a been a while between 
drinks, I guess. So, uh, yeah, look, I've, I've just, uh, yeah, enjoyed the, the last few days and, um, yeah, just take each day as it comes and, and uh, yeah, just uh, embrace every moment. I like it. Okay, but w- w- when we start um, these interviews, and I'm sure it doesn't really happen anywhere else, but uh, we like to talk about grade cricket, uh, the most newsworthy element of most players' careers. Mm. So um, can you just tell, you know, for the listeners, what's your origin story with grade cricket and maybe tell us how good it is not to have to play it too much anymore? <laughs> um, well, I had to play a fair bit of grade cricket last year, actually. So I, uh, <laughs> I, and I and might I say, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Um, so yeah, I um, yeah I play for the Williston District Cricket Club in uh, in Perth. Um, we're known as the Dragons. So um, yeah, I uh, yeah love going down to training there. I'd, yeah, just yeah enjoy the club. Um, we we've had a yeah we, we're quite a successful team. We but um, yeah I guess if if you're playing higher honours, you don't need to. Waste your Saturdays at great cricket, do you? Or what some people say that, don't they? So, <laughs> depending on uh, which way you way you look at it. And, mate, um, I was just gonna I was just gonna ask you in relation to your great cricket stuff. Um, are you one of these guys who like debuted in first grade when you were sort of twelve or something? Uh, you know, were you, were you a prodigy? And if so, like, what were your early memories? Because we talked to a few guys from like WA grade cricket, and they talk about getting sledged by, you know, Brendan Julian or then Brendan mm. Julian getting sledged by Dennis Lilly. A lot of guys hang around mm. who have played at a high level. Like, do you have early memories of, of playing at Willison and, um, uh, you know, a- any any toxic masculinity you experienced, you know, uh, from the age of 14 <laughs> onwards? Oh, well, yeah, I played when I was, played when I was 15. That was my first game. Probably yeah. the first thing that I found really intimidating about grade cricket was actually showering after the game. Yeah, that was yeah. like a very, very intimidating <laughs> moment. You know, being with um, grown men and stuff like that. It's a little thing, isn't it? A lot. <laughs> but I remember that being like really a big deal. Um, and obviously, if you if you didn't do that, you got fined quite heavily. You know, you can't you can't play cricket all day and smell and then leave the ground, can you? So, um, yeah, there were some. <laughs> early memories of my time there um, I was lucky enough to, to play with um, Brad Hogg he played at um, Williston Dish Crew Club so yeah, I got to, to keep to him when I was um, younger and um, yeah he was always always really good fun to play with so yeah We'll, take, we'll just take our little things as a slip of the tongue in relation to the showers. I just wonder, in terms of your politics, um, like if you found it difficult to shower early on, do you now encourage others to shower? Is that is that your politics or is it kind of each to their own? Mm. And just finally, what are the tubbing politics of the Australian cricket team? Mm. Oh, of course, yeah, absolutely. I, I was in their shoes once upon a time and, now it's my turn to make those younger players feel as uncomfortable as possible sharing things. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I'm joking. You can't. It's uh, yeah, workplace harassment stuff. Isn't it? So, um, um, I'm sorry, I've lost train of thought. I can't even remember the second half of that question. <laughs> oh, just the tubbing politics of the Australian cricket team, at least as you remember it. I know you're back in the fold now. I mean, um, you know, is it a much more kind of welcoming atmosphere in, in relation to showering or is it every bit as intimidating as it was when you were at Williton at 15 years of age? Mm. <laughs> um, no, nah, it's it's just you kind of get in and, and 
get work done. Um, yeah, the, get the Durham done. Cricket Club, Durham County Cricket Club, where I've been playing, they they are. I've never seen a cricket team that enjoy sharing with each other more than the the Durham boys. So <laughs> it's just, I guess, everywhere you go, they have their own, you know, um, idiosyncrasies that just kind of, yeah, just mm. make them unique, make people unique. So mm. yeah, I, we're talking about sharing. Strange, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, all, it's all normal stuff. We've got ca- tight, we've, tight, <laughs> yeah, we got Cameron Bagroft on the show to speak about showers. Just completely normal stuff. Cameron, I, w- I want to know. I want to know how you went back in uh, in grade cricket over the summer. Obviously, during the ban, had to spend some time, uh, you know, playing grade cricket. I mean, how, how how did you go? Um, you know, being received on the field. I mean, I would imagine, but a lot of people have said in the past is actually more sledging and stuff in grade cricket than there is sometimes in the professional realm. But um, obviously, a turbulent last year or so for you, you know, personally and professionally. But I mean, how are you? received by people you're playing against specifically in, in the grey cricket uh, uh, sphere? Um, yeah, really good. Uh, I, I never had I never had any um, yeah, like any, any sledging in, in yeah. relation to um, you know, my mistake that I made in South Africa or anything yeah. like that. Um, most teams were yeah, you just crack on and, and, and play cricket. I, I, yeah, I'd comfortably be able to say that people were yeah, respectful and mm. um, yeah, just got on with what we were there for, which is to have a, have a good game of cricket. Mm. I was going to say, Cam, we, we just have an absolute list of ridiculous questions to follow, but just on Cape Town last year, we don't have the time or inclination to go deep on it. Frankly, none of us could do it justice, I think, either, and I think you've answered a lot of stuff on it. What, what do you say to people who still think there's more to know about those events and how much scrutiny and detective work and media cross-examination are you expecting in the UK in relation to the incident um, through the series and maybe even beyond it? Do you think it will ever stop? I look, at the end of the day, I guess... Um you know, for me, you know, what I can control, like I've, yeah, I've done everything and, and been upfront and, um, yeah, with everything that, that's been in my journey so far. And, and I guess there comes a point where you, where you need to, uh, we, we, you need to move forward, you need to move on. And, you know, I guess in life we all have, uh, you know, things that we hold on to that don't help us. And, you know, for me, you know that that's one. You know it's an experience that I respect 100, percent and I learn from. And um, but it is something you, you know, I guess you you move forward and you move past, so you can get on with your life, I guess. And um, you know how other people behave and react is is completely up to them, and, and I respect that. But um, yeah, like if people ask, obviously, you know, I'm just I'm just um, a long way down the road from where they are, so um, and I'll, I'll stay there. So. Yeah, it is what it is, and, and uh, we we forge ahead. Um, I, I noted just recently uh, the I think Christina Matthews is the CEO of Cricket WA. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, and she said um, Cameron Bancroft's now pl- he's now playing with joy in his heart, um, where it was, it was an absolute obsession before, which um, piqued my interest. Many of our listeners, whether that you know, they might not be obsessed with cricket, but they might describe it more as um, again that they're stuck in or trapped, or they don't know how to escape this mental and emotional jail. Um, what does that change look like? Like, how do you actually achieve joy in cricket? Um, am I joking? Not really. I'm serious. How, how do you achieve joy? Because I think a lot of people will be listening quite Stop intently lying. to this answer. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. From a great creator's point of view, you know, joy in giving up your 
your Saturday when everyone else is at the pub having pints is kind of you kind of understand yeah, this, those, those moments when you're fielding for 90 overs on a Saturday afternoon and it's 35 degrees what am I actually doing here but um, yeah I guess I guess I'm probably one of a few people that actually found joy in those times last year when I was playing for Williton it was 35 degrees and other people were at music festivals and I was fielding and I was just loving it. And I think it's those little things that just just make you go, bloody hell, I love this game. <laughs> and that's kind, of, that's kind of a bit of my journey. But are you, do you kind of have the, like like if we use the jail analogy, you you knew you, you were getting out. <laughs> you know, you're like, well, I'm going to play international cricket again. Like, you know, what about people who, who may not play international cricket like most of us? What do you say to them? Quit? <laughs> yep. Just give up. <laughs> uh, no, actually, some of the some of the guys in WA that last year we um, obviously like when when some players get injured it becomes very tedious um, rehab and you know conditioning and all that sort of stuff and a few of the guys started taking a different approach of trying to demotivate people um, mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to like, encourage people. Mm-hmm. So you'd be on the bike and you'd just be sweating out, you know, and you'd you'd have a you know, two-minute set you got to do, and you know, then in your ear you'd have your mate whisper, "Just give up, <laughs> give up. You don't need to be, you don't need to be here." <laughs> so um, I've kind of seen it all, really. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, in the last. Uh, you know, sort of 15 months or so, there's been massive changes, you know, just bringing it into the Australian team now. I mean, when you were there, you know, sort of 15 months ago under Darren, it seemed to be about, you know, there's a lot more emphasis on like chest and rigs, just general alphadom. And now like we're sort of seeing, you know, there's a heavy you know, focus on earthing, you know, Christianity, yoga, you know, spirituality. I mean, how, how, different, how different is the Australian team and, and why has this happened so quickly? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I don't really know. I mean, Jay was, we were walking laps barefoot um, when he was coached Western Australia, so it's not really mm. a new phenomenon yeah. too much that I've seen. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think in, in times of stress and anxiety, you, people search for, for more meaning, don't they, I guess? Oh, and and, and uh, perhaps that was just part of the journey, you know, being able to connect with the earth and the ground and... Mm meditation and going to church and all that sort of stuff that people just some people find meaning and a greater um, reason for living so mm. that's kind of my answer to that question mm. Man, I love that um, we're just uh, I mean we're only a couple of days out from the first test Cameron and uh, this is a completely unfair question but I'll just ask it anyway there's, there's a big discussion about who will be selected between you or Marcus Harris for that opening position um, relationships with Justin Langer seem to be important he's described Marcus Harris as like a little brother and he's described his relationship with you like father son um, notwithstanding Harris is only six months older than you and therefore in this scenario Harris would be a very late birth um, who does Langer love more his little brother or his son obviously he'd prefer to be the son <laughs> oh, that's a tough one, that. Jeez, um, I don't know. <laughs> You'd probably prefer to be um, the son than the brother, I guess. Although there's something about the brother that well, he's you, older. But... 
you'd think if you were, yeah, you'd think he'd be closer to your son than your brother. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Jail, you know, loves both of us equally the same. Um, <laughs> yeah, hopefully he does anyway. <laughs> Uh, um, obviously, uh, it, a, lot, a lot of talk about the England squad as much as the Australia squad at the moment. But um, but one guy that we've spoken about on this show a number of times is Johnny Bairstow. Just trying to figure him out, you know, as a as a personality. You, you obviously had a, a run in with Johnny uh, unusually in Perth a couple of years ago during the last Ashes series. Um, can you tell us like can you tell us what's going on with Johnny and your own relationship and experiences with Bairstow? Because I, I I've spent a lot of time thinking about Johnny. And I just can't quite figuring him out, and you know, just greeting people with. You know, it's just just gentle head nuzzles. Uh, you know, it's an interesting way to go about things. But I mean, I mean, do do you have a relationship still with Johnny Bairstow? Yeah. Uh, not really. No. I mean, no. apart from playing against him and um, yeah, having a um, yeah, having a pint in mm. in Perth on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon where he where he was he was and and that incident obviously occurred. Um, yeah. like I don't really. Yeah, that, that's about where. Um, Johnny and I start and stop. Oh, okay. We're gonna we're trying to get him onto the show just to um, continue our uh, sort of keenness to work him out. I like him. I, th- I think there's um there's a there's a lot going on there, and uh, you know I think it's good to chat with him, Johnny. If you are listening, I'm sure you are. Um, you know you you're welcome to come onto the show. Just just Cameron on on England. Uh, you you know I think you'll be selected. Uh, England in England, Anderson, Broad, Archer, Wokes, and the rest. Where does that batting challenge rank in the realm of batting challenges globally? Like, what's what's the mindset of the batting group? It's the, the batting in England has probably been the weak point for Australia for the last sort of 15, 20 odd years almost. Um, where are you guys at? Can you give any Australian listeners any any hope of bulk team runs? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the. Uh... That's the goal, isn't it? So yeah, we had a we had a couple of um, meetings today and, and just talked about um, yeah. I guess you, you reflect a on on what you want to be able to do out there, and, and then also as a, as a batting group, you, you speak as a team about what's important when we're out there in the battle together. But yeah, you're completely right. I think that yeah, in playing England and their own conditions, it's um, it doesn't get a tougher assignment than that I, you know I thought to date in my career so far last year in South uh, in South Africa and you know facing you know Philander and Rabada and um, Morkel and stuff I, I thought that was up there with some of the toughest bowling I've had to face so far and, and um, you know there'll be another great test so yeah we just got to dig in and um, you know play together out there build partnerships and if we do that, I'm sure all the Aussies will have plenty to cheer on with our with our batting. And just um, just before we let you go, Cameron, we do appreciate your time um, this evening in the UK. But I, I suppose that the nation, you know, wants to know, you know how much do you regret what happened? And of course, by that I mean wearing that brown singlet for the Fox Sports interview with Adam Gilchrist. Oh yeah, it, well, it's quite funny. I caught a bit of abuse from some of the Lancashire players a few weeks ago in county cricket about there you that. Go. Yes. Like they generally cared about that. Um, <laughs> I didn't realise it was a, the heart, heart of an issue of you know other people out there. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe my guns are just too intimidating for others. So um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm the only thing that I can put it down to. 
<laughs> I love it, mate. Double down. Perfect. Um, yeah. No, you, you, I mean, you clearly have no idea how much you've put people at ease there. There's been a lot of discussion about that brown muscle shirt, and it's actually very heartening to hear you say, well, it's clearly intimidation mm. about my guns. Yep. Um, I'll wear a long sleeve next time. It's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Keep it going. Keep it going. Um, genuine. Um, Cam, we really appreciate you putting up with um, 15 minutes of whatever it was that you just experienced. Um, I'm not sure it might rank in a spiritual realm, but um, from our point of view, sitting in a car in Melbourne at 5.30 in the morning and wherever he goes is, uh, it means a lot to us. Uh, we, we think it's good that you fronted up. Um, thanks, Cricket Australia, for putting you up as well and wishing you all the best uh, for the Ashes series, mate. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Amy. He goes... Very important announcement on behalf of the great cricketer. We have, with no trepidation at all, in fact, we're doing this bullishly, confidently, we're going to enter the fashion world, the fashion realm. And we're doing it with our great partners, Budgie Smuggler. We have decided to design our own pair of smugglers for sale. He goes. Yes, that's right. I'm telling you things you already know because you were part of this design. But we are pleased to announce today that in partnership with Budgie Smuggler, we will be releasing only a small number of units of a series that we are entitling All-Time Alphas. Mm. Uh, On these smugglers, he goes, as you know, again, but I'll speak to you like you're the Speaker of the House. Sure. You will see uh, depictions, illustrations, pictures, if you will, of the following. And I will. Faf's rig, Ponting's forearms. Steve Waugh's squint, Marcus Stoinis's chest and pipes, Viv Richards with a cigar, Pat yep. Cummins' eyes, Murph Hughes's mo, um, <laughs> uh, text from Michael Clark describing Jared Waitley as Gerald Wheatley, Alex Carey's bandage, Dennis Lilly on a sunbed, Chris Tremlett's rig, Ian Botham on Q&A in the mid-80s, 4-0 with a giant hand, uh, we had to remove the BCCI logo for legal reasons. Brad Haddon laughing in the 2015 World Cup and Shane Warne with champagne. But to name a few. Uh, but to name a few. They're all spliced together in a patchwork quilt-like arrangement. Mm-hmm. It just repeats forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want these on your budgie smugglers, mm-hmm. uh, you can get them. They're currently in production. We'll be very clear about when they come out. They should be ready for our UK tour, and we may have an opportunity to sell a few units at our live show as well. Um, you know, we're a boutique sort of uh, fashion entity. He goes, there, there, aren't gonna be, there isn't going to be too big a run on this. We've been told by the CEO of Budgie Smuggler that it represents a fairly niche design, um, mm. one that may not appeal to the general public, mm. but that cricket fans uh, may, be, may be keen. If you're a fan of the Alpha... Then, um, yeah, I'm not letting you talk at all here. He goes, by the way, I'm just reading from an Alan Jones-like script. Well, this is, I mean, this is this is essentially a Kanye West Yeezy line. Uh, limited selection, high demand, exorbitant cost. Actually, it's not exorbitant at all, but, you know, you know, I'm thinking Frank Ocean, P. Diddy, mm. Kanye, all dip their toes into the fashion line. And now the great cricketer has as well, with a quilt-like design of the ultimate alpha. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know just what it costs no, yet. Just normal stuff. It's all normal stuff, just mate. Some normal stuff. Normal stuff that evolves yep. from a Twitter account. Uh, Do a Twitter account, mate. Yeah. Years and years ago. Yep. Um, that fashion line called All Time Alphas. Um, <laughs> tweeting, tweeting, tweeting from bathrooms. Corporate Australia. Okay. 
Hashtag ask TJC. This one comes in pairs from Francesca Vaghi. Dear Grey Cricketer podcast hosts, the little I know about cricket I have learnt the past year from my English boyfriend, who is an avid listener of your podcast. He told me that you sometimes read questions and stories from the audience during your episodes, so I thought I'd send in an account of our viewing of the Cricket World Cup final a couple of weekends ago and ask, how would you celebrate a Cricket World Cup victory if you were Italian? As you can perhaps tell from my name, I am Italian myself. The weekend of the final was also the weekend that my boyfriend came to Italy to meet my family for the first time. Although pessimistic about England's chances of winning, apparently not believing that one's team can win is a deeply English trait, he nonetheless asked whether it would be possible for us to watch the final. My relatives had invited us out for dinner that night, so he was apologetic. I told him that I would not have to work hard to convince a group of Italians about the importance of watching one's national team playing in a World Cup final, even if it wasn't football. As predicted, my relatives were happy for us to be a little bit later for dinner. We streamed about three hours of England versus New Zealand on my laptop on the Channel 4 website using a VPN that froze the site up at various crucial moments, while my boyfriend mm. ignored his constantly buzzing mobile because we, uh, he knew we were a few minutes behind everyone else who was watching back in the UK. I don't need to tell you how tense those last few hours of the match were, so I kept asking him whether we should let my family know what we, what we would uh, be a bit later than we had said. English to the core, he decided we should be politely on time when it seemed that England would not recover from... Well, I'm not sure from what. I still have much to learn about this game. But he was certain that England would lose, and he assured me he'd rather go out to dinner than watch England get defeated. By the time we got to the restaurant and he asked for my phone to check uh, what was happening, he had no data on his. The match had gone to super over. It was, of course, unthinkable that the TVs of the pizzeria were uh, we were at would have any channel showing the cricket. So the last moments of the match were related to, were relayed to us by a friend of mine on WhatsApp. I don't think I've ever seen anyone look so tortured and also succeed to constrain one's emotion the way he did that evening. When my friend finally wrote to us saying that England had won, a mixture of disbelief and pure joy crossed his face. But rather than loudly cheering or going onto the street to jump around a bit, as we Mediterraneans might feel compelled to do, he just sat waiting for the beer he had ordered, which he calmly drank as my loud, loud Italian family drank up to and congratulated him for his team's victory. I told him how bad I felt that we had missed the end of the match to make, uh, to make this dinner. He told me there was nothing to be sorry about, that he was the one who had decided to leave, a decision he would have to live with for the rest of his life made me feel so much better. <laughs> I guess this cricket experience is many of the ones he's told me about over the time seems to be one defined by what is perceived as some of kind of formative suffering, not unlike one's father not showing up to one's cricket matches as a child, which I hear happens a lot. For me, for me that evening taught me about, uh, taught me more about being, uh, being, sorry, for me that evening taught me more about being what's being British means that in the 10 years that I have spent living in the UK, politeness, restraint and correctness above all else, which my boyfriend tells me is also the essence of cricket. Keep calm and carry on personified. But also a lesson on how incredibly glorious it feels for things to go right when we don't expect them to. So perhaps the second question then, have I learned to celebrate like a Brit? Yours faithfully, Fran. Oh, that was just lovely. Yeah. Can I just say, there's a lot go- There's a lot in this message that makes me think, I wish this couple well for the future. Oh, mate. <laughs> there's a very, yeah. that's almost like, you know, and I don't mean to embarrass you guys if you're listening, but, you know, there's a wedding story in that. Cause he's, oh, cause, yeah. Because the man's done well, 
He's done for. I've been in a similar situation. We've all been in those situations. Perhaps not as dramatic as that, mm. but just despite the drama of the World Cup for England mm. and him, obviously, him being so close to it that he he is refusing messages from people, knowing that he's behind, mm. and he wants to watch it in real time mm. or in real time, you know, as far as he's concerned. He still decides the correct thing to do is to go out to dinner with the family. Like the respect that that shows mm. for the for the you know what you're presuming is early on in the relationship. He goes. And to go and see the family, understanding the political mm. weight of that mm. uh, is immense. You know, I mean, how like he has gained himself immense credit. You would imagine, yes. But he also and then to sorry, go on. Go on. Uh, well, I was going to say, but he also let Francesca know that you know this is something that he would have to live with for the rest of his life. <laughs> but I'm sure he. he I'm, but it sounds to me, and she realised it well. It sounds to me that he's just done that. Quietly and calmly while he just sat there drinking his beer, celebrating the win. Yeah. I'll have to live with mm. this for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> just looking into the middle distance. Yeah. yeah, and and like and there is a very like a, a very rational kind of guilt from Francesca that I enjoy, uh, that she said as well, you know, rather than saying, Well no, he should see my family. Instead it's like, look, I understand what I've done and what I've put him through to the point where she's now been compelled to write into the grade cricketer uh, this story. So it all feels very lovely and healthy um, with, you know, some good, you know, sprinklings of, um, you know, some issues that'll sit there underneath that'll pop up sort of 10 to 20 years later. Oh, when they'll, have a couple of kids well, and, they will fester uh, deep. And, and he's starting to feel bad. They'll fester deep, mate. I mean, we didn't get a, we didn't get a, t- a chance to, to, to learn Fran's boyfriend's name, but Fran's boyfriend, you marry her. You marry her right now mm. because this is as good as it gets. Mm. Someone who's like who, who's going to, you know, it must be early because there's no anger. There's no anger in this relationship. And like in my experience, yeah. you know, as speaking as a 33-year-old single man, you know, all relationships yep. just, you know, are angry. <laughs> yeah. There was a part that – what was the part that I read where I sort of furrowed my brow a little bit where it was um, – what was it? He decided as it was heading to a super over to instead go to the pizzeria, yeah. um, to not be to not be late, and I just thought, oh, that's early in the relationship. That's really You've that handed, kind of like that, yeah. well, that kind of like high level behaviour, mm. you know, rather than kind of selfishly, you know, wanting to do your own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I and I admire it. Mm. I admire it. Yeah. Okay, that was great. That was a great. That was a great one, Francesca. Thank you. You can imagine it being read in an Italian accent. Great imagery of mm. the Mediterranean. Everyone else, step up. Mm. Okay. Um, <laughs> anonymous. Hello, fellas. Hashtag RTGC for you here. Please keep anonymous. <laughs> Always good. Uh, yesterday we played a cup game. The Oppo skipper opened the batting alongside a very promising under fourteen county player. The new ball swinging round and bouncing, and the kids playing really well, hitting some amazing shots. Everyone here could only dream of, aged fourteen. At the other end, the skipper can't get the ball off the square. Snicks off, given not out. Chips up a dolly, caught and bowled, dropped. Scratches his way to twenty five, not out. The kids on thirty five, not out. Anyway, the kid, nud- the kid nudges one straight to mid wicket, and the skipper at the non striker end calls one. Obviously not his call. The kid, surprised by this, takes two steps but tries to send his skipper back. However, calculating that he's going to be run out by yards, the skipper runs through, ensuring he's past the kid and won't be run out. Safe to say the youngster is run out by 15 yards with his skipper stood safely in his ground, shrugging his shoulders. My question is, is this an alpha power play designed to teach the young pup the old cricketing lesson of don't embarrass the skipper by looking a million times better than him, or the selfish work of a beta cuck without a moral compass? P.S. The skipper went on to edge and toe his way through a match-winning century and clearly had the last laugh. Okay, here goes... Um I reckon that the author is the skipper. 
trying to absolve his guilt. Right. Okay. So basically, there's a there's a 14 year old who's like smashing him, and then the the, yeah. the captain who can't get him off a square runs him out, but then he goes on to win the yeah. game. I was yeah. like, I was like reading this, and I was like, I've played against that captain a yep. million times in my career, and I fucking hate him. I fucking hate mm. the cunt. I hate him. I hate mm. everything about him. I hate what he wears to the game. I hate. Uh, I hate the way his pads look on him. I hate his untucked shirt. He's you know he's ungamely gait as he runs I hate him but he's won the game so you know experience does count for a lot I've also played against the guy that you know he's just an older guy and you just think fuck how do we get this guy out but he's just, he, like his technique isn't good he's just old and he's just decided well I just know how to not get out which is the important thing in cricket especially when you're a batsman um, is this an alpha power thing, play though, it's not a power play how, it's not, not really a, no, no. It, it's like all things in cricket, it's the, the way that the skipper has behaved is born of deep insecurity, but also experience because cricket is a game that breeds insecurity. Uh, so you need to counter against it as much as you can. And that is what breeds selfishness you know, as a result. So the skipper's kind of in, in a roundabout way, he's teaching the kid a lesson. And in, in this is how you tend to play cricket if you're still playing the game at that age. I mean, we're all time crunched, aren't we? He goes, yes. so when you get out to bat, you make sure you protect that innings with your life. If it means burning a 14-year-old is better than you, then so be it. Uh, the 14-year-old will be better for the experience. Mm. That is, he'll either adopt those same attitudes mm. to make sure that never happens again mm. um, or quit the game. Mm. And either way, it's, um, it's probably a good outcome. Mate, I don't know if you saw, you know, there was some protests in, in Moscow the other day, 1,300 people yeah, arrested. Um, that was that um, that protest was organised by the opposition leader, um, who Putin then locked up for thirty days. Uh, so you know that's just that's just normal stuff, and that's the same as this. You know, yeah. you just burn the ones who are trying to go against you, um, and you know, hence yeah. why that protest even exists. But that's a different uh, point. Uh, all right, Mackenzie writes in. He says, "Dear, dear TGC, I'll cut straight to the point. Thank you, Mackenzie. My two mates and I were at the local indoor nets on the bowling machine." Due to us being grey cricketers, we obviously had to speed reasonably high. In the net beside us, there was one bloke by himself, overweight, pale, mid-40s. Assuming he was attempting to match us, he had his speed clocked up reasonably high, however had short balls outside off stump, just throwing his hands at them. This one obviously went to us and our snickering at home, but the issue arised when we witnessed him driving out at the end of the session in a brand new Porsche. So my question is, who is the alpha in this situation? He's probably referring to the same skipper we were talking about before Almost as well. definitely, it's the yeah. same guy. Yeah, same guy. Same guy yeah. who has developed maybe a strange obsession with cricket despite having a, you know, a, a diverse stock portfolio um, and significant wealth. Yep. So, yeah, who is the alpha in this situation? I just, that guy who drives off in the Porsche is, I'm, I'm telling you, Mackenzie, you sound like a young bloke. He's rarely an alpha. Mm. When it comes to it, like a tr- like a true alpha. Yep. Uh, but he but he might be a wannabe alpha. I don't know. He goes. He might have different views. No, nah, you got a Porsche. Are you a, are you an alpha? Don't you find like really expensive sport cars a really funny thing? Because typically the only people that can, yeah. who can afford them are, are like you know sixty five year old men. Um, you know, going through their second divorce. Um, mm. you know, trying to seek their youth. But then you also never see anyone young driving a car. But then when you do see someone young driving like a super expensive, you know, four or $500,000 car, you think, well, absolutely fuck where that bloke is. Mm. Um, how small is his oh, dick, etc. 
Um, so it's a really tricky one, but at the same time, like you can alpha your own domains. So, you know, Mackenzie's in the nets there and he is the alpha of those, of, of that environment because you're great cricketers, therefore you're better than everyone else and you should assert yourself that yep. way. As soon as you step outside, you're a fucking nobody. You're, you're a bloke who's spent his evening, his Wednesday evening on a ball machine, um, with his mates, you know, avoiding <laughs> life responsibilities, not talking to women, um, or men, you know, depending on your preference. So, uh, you know, you can alpha your own domain, Mackenzie. You're the alpha of the indoor net centre. As soon as you get into the car park, you're just like the rest of us. Can't, I've got nothing else to add. It's the best thing you've said, I think. Well, that's the Great Cricketer Podcast this week. If you're going to be in Sydney, we'll see you on stage. If you're going to be in Birmingham, Leeds, Manchester or London, we're going to see you real, real soon. I think the next podcast we'll do, we'll all be together. Um, so, But we'll still do this via you know, a VPN uh, and a dodgy stream. And the internet connection. So um, thanks as ever to Cameron Bancroft for joining the show. Thanks as ever for he's always joining the show, Cameron Bancroft. We just we brought, actually let him speak this time. Um, thanks to Sam Perry in Melbourne. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Great Creator Podcast. Cheers. <laughs>